Hello, all you beautiful people. This is Optimistically Depressed, and I am your host, Ruth McMullen. So I've got some thoughts I want to share with you. Um, So I'm coming up to uh, my birthday, and I have a hard time with my birthday, and I don't think that's uncommon. And usually around this time of the year, so I'm roughly about a, a month away from my birthday, I start thinking about it and I start thinking about how I can improve my experience this year. And I, I know I've had conversations with many people who don't like their birthdays. They don't like it being a big deal. And there, some, some people are just kind of, are like, you know, I, I just don't like the fact that I'm getting another year older and it bums them out or it makes them think about like, well, what am I doing with my life? And you know, it kind of, if they feel like they're not where they want to be, it really, it really takes a toll on them. And I've been, so then, you know, it makes me think about, well, why, like, why don't I really like my birthday coming around? I, I enjoy other people's birthdays. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, like this is a celebration. Like, look at you, you're, you've been, um, on this earth for this many years now. And it marks like all of these accomplishments and how you've changed people's lives. And yet when it comes to my own birthday, it's kind of like, I just feel like nothing. I, I think that, um, one big thing is that it makes me just kind of feel like I don't have any value. I think that's what it kind of comes to. And it's not necessarily my birthday that makes me feel like I don't have any value. I think it's the fact that I already feel like I don't have really any value. And it I feel that way throughout the year. But then when my birthday comes around, it's like um, it just gets I'm, I'm more sensitive to it. And I get in a, a really weird funk and I kind of just want to be alone but then I also don't want to be left alone. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's, um, like I, I'm, I become very fickle and, um, but one, but one thing that really like it struck me the other day was that I really struggle. I really struggle with the whole value thing, just feeling like I don't have value. And, wondering what can I do? Like what needs to happen in order for me to feel like I have any value? I've been, I've been kind of, I've been pondering this for years. Like I've been pondering this for years, asking myself that I've been, I've been seeking an answer to that question. And I've received many answers to that question. And they were good answers. It's not like they weren't, they weren't good answers, but I, didn't, I didn't really connect with them. And then finally yesterday, as I was thinking about it more, I just realized that the thing that makes me have value is if I treat myself like I have value. And that's that. If I, like, I can't depend on somebody else to show me that I have value, which is interesting because it's almost like, um, these external forces generally determine what has value as far as objects are concerned. Like I have, uh, I have a, a little collection of rocks and they are highly valuable to me because my kids gave them to me. 
but to anybody else, they wouldn't really be valuable. So if those rocks had feelings, <laughs> then they would, depending on who they were around, they'd be like, oh, well, I, if they were around me, they'd be like, I am so highly valuable. But if they were around anybody else that, you know, didn't have an emotional connection to these rocks, then they just like, well, I'm not worth anything. And, um, that's like, that's like the power of an external force. I hope this makes sense. Please just follow with me. And I think that for myself, I've been just looking outward. I've been looking towards all these people saying, can you please tell me if I have value or not? And some people are like, yes, you are so valuable. And other people are like, well, I don't really know you, but I'm sure you're valuable. <laughs> like it's just, but the thing is, it's never really going to convince me because the person that really needs to be convinced is me. And the only person that can really convince me is me. Does that make sense? I'm still working through it. I wrote something down and it really, I feel like it made more sense than me trying to sit down and explain it. But that's the gist of where I've been at. The conclusion anyway was that the only way I'm really gonna feel like I have value is if I treat myself like I have value. And that means that I need to treat myself like I matter, which means I need to be respectful of my feelings. It means I need to be respect respectful of my health. I need to make sure that I get enough sleep. I need to make sure that I, I'm fed when I need to be fed, that I have downtime when I need to have downtime, that I have projects that I'm working on. It's like kind of stepping back and looking at me as a person that I love instead of being me. Because it's easier to just not like me when I'm inside my head because it feels, in a sense, less personal. And I don't really know why that is. But I'm sure that some of you listening are going to have some really great insights on this. So I want to know what you think. I'd, I'd really like to hear what your insights are on, are on this because... I'm still kind of sorting through it. Um, so that's one of my, one of my big thoughts. Now I want to, yeah, I'm going to move on now. So I got to interview Amanda. She's such, she's such a sweet, kind individual and brave. She's really brave. I met her probably coming up to a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago, I think. It was through the Halifax Social Network, and she had just moved to Halifax, I think a few months before that, from Newfoundland. And her experience since she's moved here has been, like she's had a lot of really big events happen in her life, life-changing events. And the kind of person that she is, I think, really has made her resilient. And she was very open. She was able to just open up and talk about her experience and how it's made her feel and what she's still going through, how she's still processing it. But I'm just thinking about, you know, like I've, I've, um, 
I've switched provinces. I've moved. I'm not from Nova Scotia. I'm from Ontario. And, um, and that was scary, but we had Sean's family here. Sean had roots here because he's from here. And so it wasn't like we were going into a completely new place, like a completely new area and basically starting again. Um, and Amanda did that. Um, she just kind of was like, you know, she just, her life was going in one direction and then she, and she was fine with it. And all of a sudden one day she was like, you know what, actually, no, I'm going to change this up. And then she did. And I just don't know many people who actually do that because it's scary and we're not always inclined to follow that smaller voice which can sometimes have really great ideas, but they're scary. So we just, we just don't do it, but she did it and she's doing well. It seems like she's doing really well and she's learned a lot and she's still learning a lot as we all are. And she shared some of that. It was really cool being able to have this conversation with her. I'm really like, she's, um, yeah, for being somebody who's just new to the area, uh, still making friends, and, you know, like working on establishing uh, stronger relationships, you know, she's just kind of flinging herself out there and just being like, all right, let's do this. And um, there are things that have scared her and she just did them anyway, which is like, that's the definition of courage. And yeah, so like she's a very impressive individual and it was really cool being able to do a podcast with her. So have a listen. You're going to love it. And obviously, let me know what you think. And if you are a subscriber to the show, I just want to say thank you very much. Um, that helps me a lot. And if if this is something that has really helped you out and um, you want to know if there's a way that you can help me out, a huge way that you can do that, uh, that you can do that is by telling a friend um, subscribing to the podcast if you haven't already, rate the podcast if you haven't already, review the podcast if you haven't already. Um, yeah, because that, those things just really help me out. All right, that's all for now. Thank you so much, everyone. Enjoy the show. like simplest little thing but it's like I feel like I'm going to die right now so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yes yeah and it and that actually is a legitimate part of your brain kicking in yeah. saying no you need to remove yourself from the situation because you're gonna die if you don't and it, it's hard and it, like I find for me it was just when it kind of got to the peak with everything that kind of happened and when I was kind of getting the peak of those feelings I kind of found I started to just kind of like blog journal, like journal blogging, not really to post it for anyone to see, but I kind of posted and I was like, if people want to read it, it's there. Yeah. But it was just kind of my way of kind of allowing people to slowly, you know, get to know me and just get to formulate it into words. And I, I don't know, just kind of 
curate my thought process of like, these are all these feelings and journaling is remarkably effective. I find it very therapeutic. I got to say, like first when I started, I haven't done one now in like months and months because I just, you know, you've had a lot going on. I had a lot going on. So I just kind of didn't, I just couldn't do it. And I find for me, it's kind of hard to pick up routines. Like it takes me a little bit longer to get into things. Like, so I'd started and I was really good. Like I had a goal of doing one once a week and I did good. And then I kind of was like, I don't know, everything kind of happened. And I was like, I just kind of defensive walls and just yeah didn't want to anymore so it's been a while but I found when I was doing it was kind of good because it was like therapeutic just to kind of formulate my thoughts into words yeah it's and um I was actually just listening to a podcast that was talking about how when you do that Mm -hmm. it actually like it actually is therapeutic like it actually is like it's um effective because it's like your um what was it? One thing that can cause anxiety is the unknown. Exactly. And so when you start writing it out, it's like suddenly starting to understand what that unknown is. And then it takes away the anxiety. It helps mm-hmm. take away the fear, which is, uh, it's something that I think journalers have kind of already known, but now there's actually some, some studies that can back it up. And so it makes it feel even better. <laughs> You know, whenever you hear that there's a study that backs something up, you're just like, oh, yeah, great. (laughs) Good. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Amanda. Yes. How about we start with where you were saying you want to kind of start with where you grew up and the type of childhood that you had? Um, Yeah. So I grew up in small town, rural Newfoundland. Yeah very tiny town of like 1200 people nice (laughs) um I kind of had an unconventional childhood in the sense that both my parents weren't active in my upbringing um my parents were young when they had me Mm -hmm. um it was previous to their senior year of high school so I was born when they were both 18 and I was given to my maternal grandmother the rays she at that time had just lost my grandfather, so she was kind of going through something. So, um, yeah, she was very religious, so I kind of grew up in a strong Christian household and good moral values, and my aunt was kind of more like my big sister than what she was, kind of an aunt role. So okay. we kind of had that close relationship. I mean, other than that, it was, you know, pretty straightforward happy childhood didn't really think anything of it um you know for the most part there was no issues like I was always the overachiever in school trying to strive to get straight A's and you know always do the right thing and when you say that you didn't really think much of it like you you mean you didn't think much about the fact that you were being raised by your maternal grandmother yeah, it just kind of seemed normal to me and yeah. just not having my parents around and just not having that family dynamic. Yeah. I didn't really seem to bother me very much. It wasn't really, I guess, until I got into my teen years and then I start forming relationships and things like that that I guess that's when I started to kind of show signs of how I was coping with things and how I was kind of processing it because I guess when you're a child you just kind of don't realize things 
Yeah. And I guess that kind of is what led me to making relationship choices that I have. Um, for the most part, it was, you know, I always tend to, I've, I guess looking back and I tend to have picked people who I felt would be the most socially acceptable for me as okay. opposed to looking at it as someone that I felt that was right for me. Why do you think that you were looking for someone that was more socially acceptable? I think for the most part, I tended to find someone that kind of would help get me validation just because I didn't have my parents. And neither, like I said, neither of them were very active in my upbringing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of developed a little bit of abandonment issues. Yeah. And just not having my parents around. Like, it's not... Like, they didn't want anything to do with me at all. I mean, Christmas and my birthdays, I'd hear from them, but they weren't even in the same province as me. So it was... Okay, yeah, that's... So, I mean, it was occasionally, like, if we'd have a phone call or, you know, that was basically it. So it was just me and my grandmother. So that was all I really knew, and that was normal to me. Mm-hmm. But... Like I said, it wasn't until I started having relationships that I started kind of going to people that probably wasn't always the best choice for me, but someone who was probably good looking or just was a good, had good family values or had a good family ties. I want, I kind of look for someone who had the strong sense of family because I guess I was kind of lacking that. So I kind of found someone who kind of had what I lacked, just... Yeah. And like I said, someone that I could kind of get the validation of, of just, you know, having a good partner and... Mm -hmm. But what ways were they... So what ways were they not necessarily a good match for you? Uh, It's not necessarily that they were, you know, did anything wrong. I just feel like communication is a key in any relationship. Mm -hmm. And I tend to have picked partners that we didn't always communicate the best. We just didn't always click. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much like a key, like finding someone that you can just have that kind of relationship with and you can communicate. Mm -hmm. And I've ended up in, well, at the end of my college years, I ended up finding someone Mm -hmm. and then we were together for a number of years and it was just, kind of followed the social norm of we were together and we started dating and everything was fine so then the next step was to get married and it was just I just kind of found myself very complacent yeah and I find growing up in Newfoundland it's easy to do just because not saying that I don't like Newfoundland but I find that it's a very hard place to kind of challenge the status quo because it's a place that's kind of very deep set in tradition yeah and it's kind of hard as a younger person to just kind of you know find your own path and kind of go against things and it's it's big in family values they're kind of especially when you're from rural Newfoundland it's kind of like age-old traditions and this is what expected of you and you just kind of do what you're told and follow the norm and yeah like my Everyone, like my mother was married by the time she was 25 with like kids and then my aunt was married with a child by the time she was 25 and then all of a sudden here I was like up in my 20s and I still wasn't married and it was just, 
Yeah. So once I kind of got to that point, I was like, okay, well, this is the next step. So you kind of just follow in that. Not saying that, you know, we, you know, I just did it just because. I mean. No. Right. No, I. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. But it kind of felt like a sense of at the same time, you just kind of, that was expected of you to do. And I just kind of followed along. And like I said, I kind of became complacent. And then even in my job, it was just kind of. I liked my job. I liked what I did, but I don't know. I just kind of always felt that there was something telling me to do more or just I was kind of had this void and I could never quite determine what it was that I was missing or what like where to go from here. And it kind of it kind of just got to the point when I I guess probably when I hit 30 (laughs) was pretty much when I kind of had this, like, I don't know if it was like a revelation or just kind of like a, my spiritual journey (laughs) or however you want to, like, however you want to call it. I just kind of got to that point when I kind of just self-evaluated my life and I just looked back at past relationship choices and I tend to have this natural ability to when things kind of get complicated, I tend to retreat and just, I'm a very guarded person. Mm-hmm. And I always have been, which I think is in part to my upbringing and just not having, you know, not having a normal parents around. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my grandma, it was me and my grandmother and like, it was fine. Like there was nothing, it was nothing wrong with it, but it's just, I guess just not having them. Like, I tried to always, you know, do something to make my parents proud or do something that they could say, like, I'm proud that she is my kid or just to acknowledge me or just... Yeah. That kind of validation is kind of what I always used to search for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just someone to make me feel validated. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, like, that's kind of the route I kept taking. And then eventually it just kind of got to that point when... Like I said, I started to do my soul searching. I was like, okay, this no longer is doing anything for me. It's no longer serving my purpose. So I just started to search inwardly and just to kind of reflect and just kind of start to analyze my life and what I could do to change. Mm -hmm. And, well, one thing led to another, and then eventually I started doing more things for me, and I just started not caring so much what people thought and started to just kind of focus on me. Mm-hmm. And I went out and I got my first tattoo. And I... <laughs> nice. And then I, you know, just started living my life. And just not worrying so much about being talked about or opinions. Because that was all I know. Growing up in a small town. Like, everyone is in everyone's business. And everyone knows everything. And it's like that anywhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be small town Newfoundland. I mean, it could be... I find that the small town can be a bit more susceptible to everyone knowing everyone's business and having an opinion about exactly. it. Exactly. And yeah. that, that was the thing. So you were always very mindful of what you did. And because someone always had an opinion and always, would, you know, had something to say. So it was all that kind of contributed. So you always had to be very conscious of what you were doing and how you were acting and just you know upholding moral high ground and just <laughs> things yeah. like that it was just it was a it was kind of a lot and then um I kind of like I said got to that point when I just 
I just used to have very a lot of anxiety about it mm-hmm. and just worrying. And then I just kind of was like, you know what? I'm, I need to set myself free. I can't keep torturing myself. I can't keep blaming my past upbringing and how I was raised or just different excuses. I can't keep making excuses anymore. I need to start going out and living my life and just not caring about others' opinions of me or... That is beautiful. I, that, that was kind of the point that I came to. And then once I kind of got in that mindset of just living my life for me and mm-hmm. kind of taking my life back and not being a victim of my past and not letting what happened to me or, you know, the issues I felt kind of limit me anymore. And I kind of started opening up to my parents a little bit more. I started expressing myself, like telling my mother how I felt and things like that. And it was things that she didn't realize that I was feeling. And then we just kind of had a heart to heart. And I realized that a lot of the things that I were feeling weren't really justified. It was just kind of how I felt. And she expressed to me that, you know, I think a lot of it too was I guess where I was young and I was kind of given to my grandmother to raise, I kind of felt like a little bit of I don't want, they don't want me. Yeah. And then both my parents ended up moving on and getting married and having other children. Yeah. And then I kind of felt like the one that nobody wanted. Yeah. Because my my, my mother had remarried and they had a kid and then my father moved away and he got married and he had two kids and... I was seeing my sib- like my half siblings and they were all having this incredible lives and they had two parents and they were doing all these things and then there was me and it's like I grew up with my grandmother and I didn't have that and I didn't have the family and I didn't and so it was I kind of developed a lot of resentment and anger yeah <laughs> and I kind of instead of expressing it I kind of internalized it mm-hmm. and I've feel like that was kind of a very unhealthy coping mechanism but I held on to that for a very long time I'd say pretty much my whole formula of teenage years Mm. up until the time I was in well in my 20s and then I I, one of the quotes that kind of stands out to me that I saw from a movie Mm. was that we accept the love that we think we deserve Ooh, and I kind of feel as if I felt like I wasn't necessarily deserving of having this spectacular love or I just kind of, you know, accepted the love because I didn't love myself ultimately. I just kind of felt unlovable. I just, that was how it was. And then, like I said, I ended up moving on and I I met someone and then we had this relationship and we were together for a number of years and then, we fell the next step and we got married and it, I mean, it, it was love, but mm-hmm. it's just, we had our issues, but like most couples do, but ultimately I think it was just a communication thing. Mm-hmm. I just felt that we just couldn't, it was almost like sometimes we couldn't speak the same language. Yeah. We were just trying to express how I was feeling sometimes it just was a never-ending cycle, and it just so it just got really frustrating. Yeah, just a lack of communication, and then we kind of just—I I guess we just kind of 
distracted ourselves with it. Mm-hmm. And then it continued like that for a while where we were just kind of so used to each other and just so used to cohabitating and just entered a state of being that we weren't really living as such and being our best versions of ourselves. We just kind of entered that complacent state. Mm. And then once I got to that point and it just, I I don't know, I guess we just kind of followed the norm and just everyone always thought that we were this great couple and then behind no one really knows what happens behind closed doors yeah so then we'd go out in in public and everyone would think that we were this great couple and then all of a sudden we go home and it was like he'd do his thing and I'd do my thing and I mean it was it was fine and we had our moments but it just kind of continued like that for a a little bit and then it kind of became more and more and then all of a sudden, it came to kind of a pivotal moment of change where the company that I worked for offered me a new position, which was based here in Halifax. Mm. So that was kind of a big change, um, especially since I don't have any family or friends here. It was just people that I knew through work because I worked with the company for a number of years. So that was kind of a big change, but... Also, at the same time, the point I was at in my life, it kind of felt like there's nothing holding me back. In the past, there's been opportunities that I've turned down because there's been things I couldn't do it because of this or because of that. There was something stopping me. But finally, I was to a point when there was nothing in my way. It was just my own fear that was kind of holding me back. Mm. So I decided that I, I need to do this. Like, I... It was just I felt something in my being that was telling me that this is what I need to do. So I made the decision to pack up my life and <laughs> move to a new province and just that's huge. Just to start a new life and have a career advancement because I I wanted to have I wanted to have that. It was something that I always wanted and I just felt like I I needed this. Yeah. I needed the change. I needed a new start. And if I was going to break free of that mentality of, you know, not worrying what other people thought, what better place to do it than in a new city where no one knows who you are? Yeah. So at least then if I messed up, nobody knew. (laughs) (laughs) So I I totally get that. Yeah. So that's that's what I did. I we packed up our stuff and then we moved here and it was an adjustment for him, especially. But he had family here. So ultimately, he had a support system because he was very family oriented. Mm. So that was kind of a relief for him. So he was a little bit hesitant, but I was kind of, I just was to that point when it's like, I I need to do this. So whether I have your support or not, I I just have to do this. Mm -hmm. But he decided to move here and it wasn't, I wasn't coarse. I, we had discussions and I said, this is what I need to do. How do you feel about this? And we did talk about it and he decided that it would be a good change for him because he also kind of felt like he was just kind of, you know, trudging along in life and figured that there'd be better opportunities here. Mm. And just with the Newfoundland economy, it was very hard as well just to make a living. So Mm. we came here and for the first little bit it was 
it was it was okay. We were kind of just getting used to getting around and just kind of getting into our routine and finding our way, and it was good. And then, of course, then we didn't have the distractions anymore, so there was nothing to kind of take away from the problem. We kind of had to face it head on. And it just came to that point when it's like, you know what? This is a problem that can't be ignored. We've ignored it for a while, but we need to deal with this. And ultimately, I kind of came to the point where I expressed myself as like, I, you know, we can fake a lot of things. <laughs> I was like, we can fake happy to others, but I, it's just, it's too much work to try to carry on as if we're living this lie. And it almost felt as if, in a sense, we were faking a marriage. Mm. We were just, we just kind of lived like roommates. It just kind of, that's how it felt. We'd go out and we'd, we'd hang out or we'd go out and we'd do things and then we'd come home and it was very, I'd go and do my thing and then he'd do his thing. It's like we were living parallel lives instead of together. Yeah. And that was a very hard decision to come to realize, especially when it took such a chunk of my life and this was all that I've known. And just to get to that point, just to get to that point, we're realizing, like, what do I do now? And it was very hard, especially after finally starting to adapt to the changes of moving and living here to just to get used to not having him in my life or not having that togetherness. Mm. And then eventually I just kind of, I, I guess for the most part, after the first initial shock wave of it, yeah, I kind of started to realize that it was kind of a long time coming. And I guess in a way with the withdrawal and just us for living that way of so long, it kind of, in a, I guess it kind of better prepared me. I don't know if that's kind of wrong to say, but it's just... It just prepared me to be okay because I was kind of used to just going and doing my own thing. And it was tough. It, I kind of retreated and I did what I always do. And I just kind of put up my defensive walls. And I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to go out and have friends. And I'd make excuses. And I just was kind of retreated in my own head. And I just kind of followed them routine of getting up in the morning and going to work and that's kind of what kept me sane during it all was just because I I had something that I wanted and just work and just my coworkers are such a great bunch of people just to be around so it was just nice to just kind of go to work in the mornings and just kind of escape it all yeah but then of course on the end of the day and I come home and then I'd have to face it and it was just it was really tough. It was a really took a real big toll on me mentally. Yeah. And then at the same time too, I was trying to kind of build relationships with my parents and it was just everything was just kind of coming out just it was kind of coming at me all at once. And it was very hard because I kind of felt like it was like this <laughs> I was kind of going through this wave that's kind of the bestest feeling. It was like all of a sudden it was like the you know, the build up and then all of a sudden the wave and I just come crashing it was like I was just kind of treading water I was just kind of I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to turn and then I I just got to that point when I started to ask myself it's like okay so 
what do I do now? How do I overcome this? And then I started to realize that, you know, I've gotten to tough situations before and my grandmother always used to call me and she's like, oh, I know it's like, it sucks that you're so far away and you don't have your family, but she just kept telling me, stay strong, stay strong. Mm. And I just kind of focused on that and I started to do my, you know, self-reflection again and just kind of go about my life and just do my own thing and just start loving me the way that I want to be loved and just that's interesting loving you the way that you wanted to be loved do you mind expanding on that I just felt like I instead of having a partner to help validate me or to feel complete that Mm. I didn't need someone to feel complete I was perfectly capable of being on my own and doing my own thing and that if I was in a relationship with someone I wanted it to be because it helped to make things easier not necessarily out of a need but because I want to be Mm. and just because they made things easier and just you know it just helped me instead of you know, a requirement because, you know, being in a relationship validates you in some way. It's, Mm -hmm. it doesn't ultimately, it's just, you know, so that's very, very interesting. And I think that's something that is, people are starting to kind of recognize more Mm -hmm. now, but it's still not something that is articulated very often. So I like that you shared kind of more what that actually looked like for you to be um to love yourself the way that you deserve to be loved so thank you and ultimately ultimately too I guess it was kind of one of those things was like how can you expect others to love you when you don't love yourself Mm. and I find that I found that once I started opening up and kind of talking to others or just kind of sharing a bit about my journey and just allowing people to get to know me Mm -hmm. I found that it was just things just kind of open up it's kind of like things just started to manifest itself Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden I wasn't even looking I was perfectly moving all my life and I wasn't even looking for a relationship Mm -hmm. someone came along and it was completely out of nowhere and it blindsided me and at first I was kind of very hesitant and skeptical especially after my whole ordeal about, you know, separating and then, you know, divorcing and everything like that, it was, you know, I was kind of hesitant to open myself up to that again. Mm. But it was kind of one of those things. It was like I had that feeling of when the job opportunity opened up where it just kind of felt like something that was just pulling me towards it and just something that I couldn't deny. And... So I started dating, and again, and it was slightly terrifying, and especially considering it was completely different than what I was ever used to. It was just like this effortless communication, whereas just a subtle shift in my chair, and he'd be asking me what's wrong or if if I'm okay, and it was if I was having a bad day of anxiety, it was no longer what's wrong with you, it was how can we get through this? Like, you know, it yeah. was, it was a wee thing. And I just, it was, took me for a loop because it was 
so different than anything I've ever known. And it, it was just kind of like we had this like telepathic ability. It kind of gets a little bit scary at times because we just, we can just pick up on each other's vibes. It was, it was kind of crazy. And it was also different for me too, because he had a child and that's not something that I've ever had to deal with. So it was a big change because mm-hmm. it wasn't just getting used to the whole relationship it was just you know adapting to that as well but I mean it's been like a breath of fresh air it's completely it's completely changed and I mean I'm happy not to say that I wasn't happy before but it, it's a different happy yeah yep no I understand there are different types and and that's the way that you describe that, it, mm-hmm. it can make sense. And there's one thing that has piqued my curiosity as well, um, was the mention of anxiety, because yeah. you said that you've had it um, before, mm-hmm. and now you're in a relationship where your partner recognizes when it's kind of getting you. So mm-hmm. would you say that anxiety is still something that you're learning to live with? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I find that through the years, just kind of, developing little coping mechanisms like kind of knowing what my triggers are Mm -hmm. and just kind of knowing if I'm in a situation or if something's going to happen I can kind of pick up on whether or not this is going to be a situation that kind of might trigger something for me okay um I found that once I started to open up more to others and kind of share and what it feels like and just to kind of formulate how it feels to me because of course the way that I feel when anxiety obviously is probably may feel different to you when you're experiencing because we all have different different triggers or different things that causes our anxieties yeah absolutely but ultimately when you kind of start to discuss you find that you kind of see a little bit of yourself and what you're feeling in others so it's kind of you know, that connection that you kind of learn to develop. Mm. And that's kind of been a pivotal thing because, like I said, normally when I've been experiencing anxiety or I've been experiencing these feelings, my coping mechanism was just to retreat. So I just put up defensive walls and I wouldn't let anyone in. So I kind of shaded myself for a number of years against people really knowing what was going on or how I felt and... For years, I didn't have a relationship with my parents, and I held on to this resanger, the resentment and anger, and it just, for ultimately no reason, it was just my own, just in my own head. And I, once I started to express myself and how I felt and kind of communicate, it just kind of opened up this whole new world of just being able to share my thoughts and just being able to recognize situations that I find kind of causes that or situations that I may feel uneasy in or just just having someone that knows what it feels like Mm -hmm. that was kind of the big thing for me and I kind of think that's you know the communication aspect that's kind of been the key just having someone that you can communicate with and knowing when to just be there for you or knowing when to give you your space. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody that knows. 
and and it's not it's not even necessarily someone who's been through it. It's just someone that's willing to take the time to just hear you out. Ah, yeah. Just feeling like you're heard. I find that that's kind of been the thing for me. Mm. Instead of that's having a very good point. And when I'm having anxiety or I'm experiencing these things, I, I don't know how to articulate things into words. I can't. It's There's just so much going on, and it's like a mental state. So how do you translate all this mental process that's happening in your brain? How do you formulate that into words? How do you explain to someone, this is how I'm feeling, when you can't even make sense of it yourself? It's just... Yes. Yes. It's like language all, all of a sudden betrays you. Exactly. And you're trying to explain, but you don't even know what's happening. And you half the time, you don't even know what necessarily caused it. So you're overanalyzing in your brain and you're just trying to process things. And you're just, it's like that, like, fright or flight response in your body. And you just need to get out and you just need to retreat and just, like, try and Trying to explain it to someone is really tough if, when they don't have it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of been a thing, just having a support system and having someone that's willing to take the time and just to understand mm. and just be able to communicate and not feeling like you have to hide parts of yourself or anything like that. Just being able to be who you are in whatever broken state that you may feel just have it having someone that sees all your broken pieces but sees you as a whole yes oh that's so beautiful and that's kind of what that's kind of what's been so nice with me for me moving on in this relationship and I guess why it's gonna be different and I don't want to say anything bad about my ass because and like we ultimately ended and there was no bad blood between us like we kind of he went his way and I did mine and we just kind of came to that point when we just realized that it, it just wasn't working and it, it was sad. It was a very sad realization to come to, mm. especially when you've been together for so long. But ultimately, I mean, you, you, you can't keep going through life and just ignoring it and just kind of staying in a complacent state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and it's funny how easy it can be to get to that point because it's so Mm -hmm. gradual. It's almost like it's a comfort blanket. Like you kind of get used to things and you get used to your routines and you get used to this is the way things are that there may be red flags or there may be things that may not, you know, could be obvious to outside, like to anyone else, but to you, you're just kind of so used to your routine and this is how it is and this is my life and you just kind of go with the flow and you just... yeah. It's easy to just kind of remove yourself and just kind of become a shell in a sense because you just yes you just kind of feel like you're just living you're just in a state of being as opposed to actually living your life and making conscious decisions it's that is such an interesting way to explain that making conscious decisions it's suddenly you and it sounds like you just got to a point where you were like I want to start making conscious decisions again exactly that's that's ultimately what it was I just wanted I was tired of just kind of being this is how it is and this is my life and this is the way things are I I 
I kind of got to a point when I couldn't do that anymore. So I started to challenge that. That's beautiful. And once I did and I started doing my soul searching, I, everything just started to manifest and I just started going with it. I just started trusting insects. If it felt right, I did it. If it didn't, I then I didn't do it. Yeah. I wasn't afraid of failure. I wasn't afraid. Like I stopped letting things kind of hold me back because I kind of always played it safe. Mm-hmm. And I was never a risk taker. I was never, if you had met me a couple of years ago and you had told me, oh, well, at, you know, at this point, this is where you're going to be living and this is what you're going to be doing. I would have thought you were crazy. I was like, there's no way. Like, that's never going to happen. That's not me. Mm. But I find that life kind of happens when you least expect it. And mm-hmm. if you keep yourself guarded and closed off, from things mm-hmm. you miss out on a lot of opportunities that may be available to you just because you're not willing to chase them or you're just like it could be something that's right in front of you or you just don't realize <laughs> you're just not willing to take that risk or you make excuses out of fear or what others might say and I just stop letting that hold me back yeah so I just started living my life for me and following the journey of <laughs> where where it would go and it landed me here and now this is home to me now and I I have been back to Newfoundland but it's for a visit this this is where I made my home and I truly feel like this was given everything that's happened I truly still do believe that this was the best decision that I could have ever made because it was something that I for once it was something that I did for me it, would you say it would, it's like a decision that you made for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it would, it would just, it was something I couldn't deny anymore. I just kind of needed to follow this path and I needed to start living. <laughs> yeah. Stop letting the fear hold me back and worrying about what others might say. Yeah. I can relate to that because I grew up in a small community as well and while there, like, there are the obvious, really wonderful aspects of that, of mm-hmm. course, but it can create that fear of what will other people think and what are they going to say. And when you're in a small community, it's not like you can um, get away from that group of people that is saying bad things about you because that's it's a small community. That's the group that you have. Mm-hmm. And in the city, it's easier to just kind of be away to get away from that and find a group of people that uh that are not going to do that like and and, and that aren't as traditional yeah so yeah I can understand that fear of of at least for me it was really I was and still and still am working on that fear of making a mistake I really don't want to make a mistake but it's suddenly starting to dawn on me that making the mistakes like that's kind of the point like it's all part of the process yeah and that was that was kind of my thing too it's like I, growing up everyone knew who my grandmother was because she was such a religious and a religious lady and she always went to church and she was so active in the church community so everyone knew who she was so if everyone knew me <laughs> everyone kind of yeah. knew that so if I kind of made a mistake then it was kind of I, I didn't want to disappoint her 
Yeah, that makes sense. And the, I mean, in Newfoundland, you're on an island, so no matter where you go, everyone has ties to everyone, so there's really nowhere to escape. It's kind of... Right, yeah, there's and once that you, aspect as When well. you grow up in rural, small-town Newfoundland, once you get to the age where you graduate high school, you, like, 90% of people either move to Ontario or out west, or they go to St. John's. That's pretty much it. So Wow, so you kind of went against the norm there. Heading out to Halifax? Yeah, like, I mean, I, I lived in St. John's for, like, my whole college years, and yeah, that's okay. where I went to college, and that's where I worked, and I thought I was going to spend my life there, and I lived there for, like, 18 years. Wow. Or, yeah, like, I in the small town, and that's all I knew, and then I moved to the city, and then I spent, like, 13 years in the city, and that was kind of my life and what I expected my life to be like in for however long and then <laughs> and then suddenly and then just suddenly out of nowhere just life threw me a curveball and just it changed everything and but I've ultimately just I'm okay mm. and I kind of came to that point was like you know what I you can't control what happens in your life but you can control how you react to things mm. and that's kind of what I've been working on yeah instead of just get feeling that anxiety and just completely shutting down I've been allowing myself to be more open mm-hmm. and allowing people to help me and not being so stubbornly strong-willed and very strong-minded and just allow people to be there for me or just to like I'm doing now, just sharing my story and allowing others to maybe hear this and just know that if you're experiencing anything that I've experienced, then obviously you're not alone. And it's very easy to kind of experience big changes or situations in your life and just to push everyone aside and just kind of wallow in it and the whole why me. Mm-hmm. And why is this happening to me? Yeah. But I found by shifting your focus into, okay, this happened, so how do I adapt? What do I need to do to get through this? Mm. And And yeah, is this a situation that is going to cause me harm? Like kind of seeing the bigger picture instead of just focusing on this one event. Mm. So I've find that once you kind of open your mind to seeing the bigger picture of things and just kind of allowing others in and just allowing communication, it's kind of, it's kind of been like a big change for me, like a big life change mm-hmm. and really eye opening too, because going against everything I've ever known. Yeah. It's been so, like, it's almost as like you get to the point when everything is kind of like hardwired and programmed in your brain and then it's like, a big life change or a big life changing decision. And then it's like you're just reset your brain to just kind of learn new coping mechanisms or just kind of learning how to adapt to the new changes. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard to do. (laughs) Yes. And a lot of work. It is. And something that you have to keep working at, especially having anxiety or having any type of, you know, mental illnesses or anything like that, that it, it's a challenge. So for me, it's just been kind of identifying things 
that are triggers and just kind of not being afraid to ask for just support or reaching out to someone or just just talking to your friends just I was always like in the mindset where if like sometimes I mean life gets busy and sometimes you can't always keep in constant communication with friends but I've I find that I've been trying to be more active where I was looking at it as like well I haven't necessarily texted or heard from this person in a while but you know communication works both ways so they're not communicating with me so but then I've been kind of like well why haven't I been texting this person why haven't I been calling this person maybe they're experiencing the same thing so it's been kind of like reaching out being more present and just reaching out to people and just being like hey I haven't heard from you in a while hope you're okay Mm. and then if you get responses fine if not well (laughs) you did you did your part and they know that you're there and thinking of them yeah and I think that's kind of the biggest thing for anyone who kind of experiences anxiety or anything it's just kind of you might not always want it or need it but just to knowing that you have someone there Mm. that you can open up to or talk to or just having a support system is huge (laughs) yes and that's kind of that's kind of been one of the things that I I guess it's been the toughest was being here initially overcoming. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, you know, I, I mean, I could contact my family, but just not having that routine of whenever I was having a bad day, just just go to one of my girlfriend's house and just ha- like having like a wine night or and such or, you know, just watching movies and just ultimately doing nothing but just being there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, so that's kind of what I, what I miss the most. Right. But I mean, now I've, I mean, I've been here now for a while and I've made connections and friends and, you know, the new relationship and it's, it's been good. And it's just, I'm finally feel like I'm at a place where I'm genuinely happy. And it's just, I never thought my life would be like this. I never thought I'd ever do, I would ever have done the things that I did, but I did them and I didn't let fear hold me back. So now things that used to kind of cause me to be scared or a little bit of anxiety, it's not necessarily there anymore. It's I've just been okay. <laughs> that is so fascinating. So it was when you started to take, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was when you started to take more uh, purposeful action in your life that the anxiety started to lessen. Is that basically, yeah? Like I was st- like once I started to kind of make more conscious decisions. Yeah. Instead of just following a pattern, I started to really focus on this, like, making the conscious decisions or connections or reaching out to friends or being more in charge of my life. Mm. and then that's kind of what that's kind of what helped to alleviate a lot of the symptoms or not necessarily saying that it went away but I just find for me personally it kind of helped alleviate a lot of that yeah that is that's fascinating so then we're starting to near the end of the podcast but there is one question that I like to ask everyone and that is what does it look to you to be mentally healthy? 
Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I guess for me, it's just kind of adaptability and resilience because you can't control what happens in life and life is unpredictable. But you do have power over how you react to situations and just... I guess just being able to look at things and instead of ask, keep wallowing in it and asking yourself, why me? What can I do to better the situation? Or I like that. How, what is the bigger, try to see the bigger picture because sometimes you kind of are so used to things, you kind of only see a certain path. Mm-hmm. But if you, I guess if bottom line, if it feels right to you and if you have, feel like this is something that you need to do just don't let fear hold you back Mm. that's kind of that's kind of been my biggest thing it's not letting fear of someone else's opinions or you know your past situations you don't have to be a victim of your past you don't have to be a victim of a situation I mean you are here you're present just be in the moment enjoy it I mean that's beautiful yeah that's awesome that's good and um the fact that you mentioned resilience is actually uh interesting because I was I just finished reading um Brene Brown's book called Daring Greatly and Mm -hmm. she talks about um developing resilience and how that can be something that is uh, a key a key component to vulnerability Mm -hmm. and how it helps you lead a wholehearted life Mm -hmm. so yeah resilience is is something that you need to learn and that you need to be able to pass on because it's a very important tool to help you be more full absolutely so that's interesting that's very interesting thank you so much Thanks. You came out here, you were so brave to share like these huge parts of your life. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are going to be people that listen to this and it's going to be inspiring for them and it's going to help them bring a bit more clarity perhaps to a situation that they're in. And so we just like, thank you so much for sharing your voice because that's important. And thank you for, for doing that on this podcast. Thank you. I mean, like it's good to know that, you know, there may be people out there that are kind of listening to this and experiencing life changes and not knowing what's going to happen, but you just need to trust yourself. Oh, that's so oh, beautiful and important because it's something that I feel is so underrated or it's something that, um, I don't know, maybe I just kind of missed the boat on that a bit, but it was something that I haven't really been learning until recently. And I think it's just, it's so important to know. I think, yeah, I guess I find that once I've kind of gotten to my 30s, I kind of find like I've been more just more respondent of things like that and just kind of, I don't know, you just kind of get used to things of, you know, things that you did when you were in your younger years. And now that you're kind of older, I guess you kind of start to do a little bit more soul searching. Yeah, I think that that is pretty typical when you hit 30 to start to go down that path. And it's, it's cool though, to see that, um, because of course the story looks different for each person. So it's really cool to see how this is where it brought you. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's cool. It's inspiring. So thanks. Thank you. Yeah. It's been fun.
Good. And to everybody who's listening, thank you so much for listening in on Amanda's story and some of our thoughts as we talked back and forth. And like, and you listening in on this, that is what helps make this podcast possible. So thank you. And just know that wherever you are, Amanda and I are sitting here loving you. So I hope that you have a great night, morning, evening, afternoon, and we will be talking to you again soon. Bye. Bye.